welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. We're starting a new series this morning, but I got to stop and ask you how many of you have struggled all week? Is it harder than you thought it was going to be to change from prayer life to praise life? Anybody else? It's difficult, isn't it? But it's the key to staying and moving into the promised land. So I hope you will continue that. We've got seven more days to accomplish that because I believe it's going to become a habit for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, so there are a lot of ways to say it. Let me, let me mention a few ways that you can tell people that you're mad. You can say it like this. I'm about to fly off the handle. And, ever heard that one? That's, okay, I'm starting old, moving up, all right, because some of y'all old enough to remember that one. I have a short fuse. Anybody want to testify? I'll give you the... No. no. Um, I, I'm about to flip my wig. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm hot under the collar. Used that one before. How about this one? I'm about to have a cow. Why do we say that? That is so, that, never mind. That's a different, okay, so that's so weird. Um, I'm about to go postal. Remember that one from about the 80s and 90s? How about this one? This one, some of y'all ain't never heard this one. I am cheesed off. Ever? That's, a, that's a little different, isn't it? Uh, some of y'all aren't young enough to know that one, and you certainly don't understand this one. I'm salty. Heard that one? Okay, all right, all right. See, it doesn't really matter how you say it or communicate it. The fact is, is that we all experience anger. In fact, uh, anger is one of the six basic emotions that we all experience in our lifetime. It's distinct. Uh, Here are the six. Happiness, sadness, fear, surprise, disgust, and anger. And I would say that for most of you during this season in life that you have uh, felt or experienced all of those emotions, but in particular in our environment right now, nationally, globally, uh, locally, I would be uh, convinced, and you probably couldn't convince me otherwise, that at some moment during all that we've gone through in 2020, uh, it's been a crazy year, murder, hornets, uh, viruses, Racial tension, economy, you name it, the the dog acts like the cat. I mean, it's been a crazy year, right? Something during this period of of your life, in this season, and myself included, most of us have had an experience where we have felt mad. Has anybody else just kind of woke up one morning and you're just like mad and you don't even know why you're mad? I mean, you're just like, I'm mad. I'm, I'm about to have a cow. Um, and so we have this. It doesn't, doesn't really matter how you say it or how you communicate it. What matters is what you do with the anger once you experience it. Um, how are you going to handle this? So, so the writer of Ephesians weighs in, and apparently the writer of Ephesians had had this moment, I guess, I can only assume he doesn't tell us, but I would imagine that he's had this moment where he's experienced something that caused him to get mad, and he has this revelation, and he gives us this statement, this instruction that should help us because he says this. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, be angry, but don't sin. Wait a minute. That should encourage you. 
Because he gives us permission to get mad. He says, be angry. Y'all ain't happy about the fact that you just, see, some of, some of your spouses, like, you need to look at your spouse because they keep telling you not to get mad. And you ought to say, but scripture just gave me permission. I can get mad. It's okay. Be angry. You say, well, I got that one down to a T. I'm that way every day. That's a different story. Uh, because he goes on and he says, with this instruction, do not let your anger lead you into sin. That's a different version. He says, be angry, but don't let your anger lead you into sin. And there's a differentiation there that it's this warning that anger can, can be productive or it can also be destructive. Uh, so the product of anger literally lies in our hands, how we respond. We, it's okay to get mad. We're going to talk a lot about getting mad this, this month. It's okay to get mad, but, but at some point, the product of that anger is your responsibility. There, there's a fictional book called White Knight. Um, it's about a detective. His name is Jim Butcher. Um, uh, he, he captures, uh, the, the author's name is Jim Butcher, and the, he writes about a, a detective, and this detective is having a conversation. I, I haven't read the book. I just found this little statement that they make, and I thought it was intriguing. The, the detective is having an, a discussion um, with a demon, and it, listen to what he says. He says, anger is just anger. It isn't good. It isn't bad. It just is. What you do with it is what matters. It's like anything else. You can use it to build or to, to destroy. You just have to make the choice. And the demon responds, constructive anger with sarcasm. And this guy responds back and he says, it's also known as passion. Now you see why I like that. Okay. Uh, he says, passion has overthrown tyrants and freed prisoners and slaves. Passion has brought justice where there was, no, where there was savage, savagery. Passion has created freedom where there was nothing but fear. Passion has helped souls rise from the ashes of their horrible lives and build something better, stronger, and more beautiful. So our challenge then is as passion, then we must learn how to go from being mad to, to being to, to mad. How do, we, how do we graduate and transition from being mad to being mad? What am I trying to say? How do we go from being angry to being the mad that we're going to talk about, which is making a difference? How do we graduate in, in our lives so that now we're not just consumed and overwhelmed by anger, but we never make a difference. Because if you never make a difference, then the anger that you're experiencing during this season of life is going to be destructive rather than productive. So I want to help you. So there are a lot of folks in the Bible that had to figure this transition out, but perhaps none better than I can find in this ragtag, salty group of men that would ultimately become known as David's mighty men. But long before they were ever called David's mighty men, they could have probably been tagged as David's mad men because they were angry. In fact, um, I want you to listen to how the Bible describes them before they made this transition. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 and 2, it says it like this. David left Gath and he escaped to the cave of Adullam where his brothers and his father's household heard about it. They, when they heard about it, they went down to him there. And all those who were in distress or in debt 
or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander about 400 men were with him another version may capture the feeling better it says it like this many people joined David these were men who were in some kind of trouble men who owed a lot of money and men who were not satisfied with life another version in the word for the word discontent says they were bitter with life come on y'all I don't know what that sounds like but that sounds like that David gathered all these men in some hotel room in May of 2020 <laughs> is exactly what it sounds like doesn't that sound like how we are experiencing life right now I heard one preacher say it like this those men were uh, broke busted and disgusted that sound, okay, maybe that sounds more like some of you. Discontent, bitter, dissatisfied with how things are going, but somehow these men are able to, to, to take all of that, that emotion, and although they started out mad, by the end of the story, they're mad. They make a difference. And I want us to examine their lives. Some pretty cool stories in there. Uh, some of my favorite stories. Uh, one in particular I'll tell later in this series and you don't want to miss it um, and if you were here 13 12 years ago you heard me preach about Abishai it's my all-time favorite story in the entire Bible and I was gonna skip it because I preached it 12 years ago but I can't I love it too much so sometime during this series you're gonna hear about Abishai you don't want to miss that but today I want us to look at this story it's found in 2nd Samuel chapter 23 I want to say to you that on your own I need you to go read 1st Chronicles chapter 11 because it retells these stories and it gives more details, all right? But I'm going to read this because it's kind of concise. Second Samuel chapter three or 23, beginning in verse 9, says this. Next to, to rank in him was Eleazar, another one of the three fighting men. He was the son of Dodo and the grand, grandson of Aho. Can't make this stuff up. Eliezer was with David at Pasdamin when the Philistines gathered there for battle and when the soldiers from Israel retreated. You missed that. I'm going to read that again. When the soldiers from Israel retreated. Let me say that one more time. When the soldiers from Israel retreated, talking about Eliezer, he attacked and killed Philistines until his hand got tired and stuck to his sword. So the Lord won an impressive victory that day. And lo and behold, the armies returned to Eleazar, but only to return to strip the dead. Now, so my first question is this, is if this is one of David's mighty men, why was he mad? And then I figured out, when you're the son of Dodo, and you're the grandson of, okay, I'm not even gonna mess with that, then you probably have a good reason to be angry, right? So, so the, uh, we don't really know why he was mad. We don't know why he was discontent. I don't know why he was bitter. I don't know if he was in debt. I don't know any of that. All I know is what the scripture tells us is that in this account that we can learn some things to apply that allow us to make the same transition that somehow Eleazar made. And so just some side notes, just a few things real quick. First of all, I want you to notice that the Bible says that, um, it, and, and again, you need to go read 1 Chronicles chapter 11 because it gives more details, but the Bible says that Eleazar and David are in a place called Pasdamin with the armies of Israel gathered around them. I just want to stop 
and tell you that if you do your research uh, and you read after commentaries, past Demene, which also means the, the, the dell of bloodshed, so it was a violent place, it was also believed to be the same place where David, years before, had defeated Goliath. And also, if you read about that location, you also discover that there was an instance prior where Saul is going out uh, to try to do a battle, and the Philistines stop him there and confront him there, and David has to intervene. This is just a side note. This is free. It didn't cost you anything. I just want to tell you that in my own life, what I've discovered is that it seems like in my life, my greatest battles have to be fought over the same piece of ground and the same issue time and time again. And just because you won a victory once does not let you off the hook from going back to check to make sure that the enemy hasn't set up a new stronghold in that same exact location. We talked about circling the walls, the walled off area of your life, and many of you are experiencing freedom right now that you've never experienced. But may I challenge you to go back and look again. Can I... Can I challenge you to go back on a frequent basis and just make sure that the enemy hasn't walked right back into the same territory and without you knowing it, set up new strongholds. You need to check your pause demean over and over and over again to make sure that the walls are down and that your guard is still up. So, so it, it, it is necessary to keep the enemy defeated. Second, I want you to notice... Uh, and you won't see this in the passage I read. It's in First Chronicles chapter 11. Uh, I want you to go read that. But it tells us that David and Eleazar, they go out and they pick a fight with the Philistines. Interesting. I don't know how that works. I don't know if it's, nah, 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 my daddy can beat up your daddy. I, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is it tells us that David and Eleazar taunt the Philistines and then... In 1 Chronicles chapter 11, it says that David and Eleazar go to the middle of a barley field. And then the Philistines attack. But I want you to notice, because it's important, it seems like an an unnecessary detail. But can I just point it out to you? It says that they taunt the enemy, and then they go take up a position in the middle of a barley field. That seems insignificant, but it's not. Because the Philistines had a habit that they would always wait until the crops were just about ready to be harvested. And then they would show up and they would steal the harvest. Are y'all here today? Uh, can you make the application? Can I, can I just speak to you this morning and challenge you to recognize that the enemy in the Old Testament called the Philistines recognized that if they could keep the children of Israel unfed, they would become... Uh, deficient, they would lack the strength, they would be malnourished to the point that they could no longer resist, they could no longer fight, they could no longer withstand the attack. So now the Philistines come down to steal the barley and David and Eliezer set up right in the middle of that crop and they say, you're not taking our food. And I just want to challenge you to ask yourself this question. Why do you think the enemy in your life continues to try to keep you from being fed? Why is it so hard to read your Bible? Why is it so difficult to get to church on Sunday morning? Don't play with me. I know some of y'all. It was a knockdown, drag out, four hour battle to get here this morning, and everything that could go wrong went wrong. 
Why do you think that the enemy keeps showing up on the edge of your barley field trying to steal the crops? Because he knows if you're malnourished, if you're not fed, then you won't have the ability to withstand the onslaught and you will be defeated. Wake up. Wake up. Recognize that he's attacking your food source. Boy, y'all are quiet this morning. I don't know if y'all worshipped yourself out. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, recognize. Wake up and recognize. Every time you're about to open your Bible, the kids go crazy. Why do you think? Every time you're about to spend time with the Lord, the dog goes nuts. Why do you think? Every time that you're about to spend some quiet time and get fed by his Holy Spirit, something goes wrong, something distracts. It's simply an attack on your barley field. So you better take the lead from David and Eleazar and sit up right in the middle of that field and say, come on now, if you're going to attack me, you might as well bring it on. You're not getting my food. You're not getting my food. You're not getting my food. There's a common cord that runs throughout the account of these mighty men that I want to point you to out of this account, and we will see it in the other accounts as well, and that is this. If we're going to make a transition from just experiencing anger, being mad, to actually making a difference, we got to catch this. We must only fight for what matters. Well, I can't get no help this morning. And if there was ever a truth that, that should resonate in our spirit right now, in this season, in this day, in this climate, it is this. We must only fight for what matters. See, I believe that too many of us are getting mad about things that don't really matter. Now, listen, I don't... I, boy, I, ooh, shoot, I'm going to go preach back here because I can feel it right now. I'm feeling the death stares. Okay, so so in this, in this environment and in this climate, I can't do that. That's crazy. Okay. Um, here's the deal. You don't get to pick what matters because some of y'all picking some stuff. We're picking sides. The only thing that really matters Y'all not going to like this because then it messes with your opinions. The only thing that really matters is what matters to God. Okay, I knew, I knew, I knew. So, so we use up all of our energy, all of our passion, all of our resources, all of our strength, warring for things that aren't critical to the kingdom. Some of y'all think that that we live in a democracy. No, we don't. Not anymore. If you've surrendered your life to Jesus, you don't live in a democracy. You live in a theocracy. And the reason we struggle with that is because as Americans, we've never lived under, well, we used to before the Revolutionary War. We didn't understand. We don't understand. We have no frame of reference to having a king. But we have a king. Okay, y'all. some of y'all have unfriended me right now on Facebook. That's all right. See, because here's my concern. If you win the battle that you're fighting right now, are there any spoils? Does it really make any difference in your life? Does it make any difference in the life of those around you? Does it really have any spoils, not for you, for the kingdom? Okay. See, if we're going to fight, then I want us to fight for what matters. I... I because my question is, is, is uh, otherwise we end up victorious, but we're empty-handed. Because some of y'all fighting, but when you're finished fighting, you may go, well, we won. On November 4th, we won. On this, on this issue, we won. On this issue, we won. 
But if the way that you spend all your energy, passion, resources, anger causes you to win in such a manner that there are no spoils. Because the spoils for us, by the way, are souls. And if the way you fight the war right now causes people not to want the Jesus that you have, then you're not fighting for what matters. Okay, I know. Okay, so, okay, so, 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 so we've got to figure out what the king is interested in. And then once we figure that out, it's no holds barred. Once we figure out what he says is worth fighting for, then we go all in. I'm with you. I'll march right into the middle of the barley field, just me and you, God, and I will fight because if it matters to you, it should matter to me. If you don't know what matters around here, can I convince you to go back and listen? I've had people come to me and say, you need to say something about this and this and this and this. The only problem is I have. For the last 13 years, we've lined it out pretty good. Now, if you're here, or you just arrived and you don't know, then you come talk to me and I'll tell you. But we have listed it for you verbatim what matters to the kingdom not your opinion what not even my opinion because some of the stuff that matters to him i don't even like tim kaiser says it like this he says our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be the failure should not be of failure but of succeeding in things in life that don't really matter And so the first step to moving from I'm just mad to I'm going to make a difference is this. I have to have the maturity. Why do we keep coming back to maturity in 2020? Because if you're going to make it through 2020, you got to grow up. <laughs> the, the, the immature in this season are going to get derailed and de delayed and distracted and destroyed. They're going to get caught up in every wind of doctrine. Go read the end of the book. This is the end of the book, y'all. It, we're, we're, it, in, in Revelation, people's minds are turned to everything but what really matters. And they're distracted. So you got to grow up. So, and here's the first key. you got to be able to discern what battles are worth fighting. Because some of y'all fighting for everything, but everything you're fighting for doesn't necessarily matter to the king. i got to move because some of y'all are uncomfortable. So, so, so you, got, you, you can, so you, that's the first step. you got to figure out what, what is the king. Just pray about it. Instead of taking up arms and fighting every battle that comes across your Facebook feed, they come across mine too. And there are a lot of times I type stuff out. And then the Holy Spirit grabs me by my throat and says, don't you dare hit enter. Because the fight's not worth it. There are no spoils for us. Okay. So that's first. But second, here, here's the second big one. Did I just say biggin? I did, didn't I? My Apache Oklahoma came out of it. The second biggin is, uh, is <laughs> oh, what is wrong with me? You can, is this, you can make a difference if you won't let go. If you won't let go. Eleazar is included in, the, in this list of those who made a difference simply because he wouldn't quit. See, I am more and more convinced that redemption is usually found in repetition. That was better than you responded. I am convinced that redemption is normally found in repetition. 
I find victory as I repeat the same steps over and over and over and again. And the difference is made and victory is won simply by those who will not quit. If you haven't, listen, why am I, if you haven't figured out what 2020 is really about, can I just inform you right now, is to try to get you to quit. That's it. Because you, you have figured out that the enemy discovered that if he sends one thing our way, we don't quit. But if he sends one thing, and then another thing, and another thing, and then, y'all think this is over? It ain't over. It, there's going to be something else. Because he's, he's piling on. He's piling on. Because he thinks it'll cause us to quit. But we can win if we won't quit. I think Eliezer's story is important because there's something to be learned here about not letting go. He had two reasons that he could have let go on that day. I'm going to share this, these two reasons because they're the same two reasons that some of you are right, right at the place in your life where you're about to give up. And I want to encourage you, it's not time to quit. Here's the first one. The, the first reason that he about quit is because he was abandoned by everybody else. That's an interesting account to me. He, David and, and Eliezer are backed by, I don't know, hundreds, maybe thousands of soldiers standing all around them. Na, 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 na. You can't beat us. Red Rover, Red Rover, let all of your armies come over. And they step up into the middle of the barley field and all of a sudden the Philistines attack and Eliezer looks around and he's the only one there. In fact, I couldn't even find in Scripture where it says David stayed. Y'all missed it. He's all by his stinking self, surrounded by the enemy. And if there, if there wasn't a truth for us right now that's more applicable, I, I can't find it, and that's this. There are going to be moments in this season where everybody you thought was going to step up and everybody that you thought was going to have your back and everybody you thought was your ride or die, they're going to set, you're going to turn around and you're going to find yourself surrounded by the enemy and you're going to be all by your little lonesome and all of a sudden you're going to want to go, I quit. I, I give up. I surrender. I didn't, I didn't mean to fight this by myself. They had me when I was taunting. Now when I was talking big, now, now all of a sudden I walk out there and there's nobody to be found. And so I just wonder... In that moment, what Eliezer must have felt like. I don't know about you, but I think he would have been shocked. I think he would have been disgusted. I think he would have been upset. I think he would have been mad. I think he would have dealt with anger. And all of a sudden, somehow he gets a grip on his emotions. And there are going to be days that you're going to want to quit making a difference because those who should be standing with you cannot be found. There are going to be days you're going to look around and it's just going to be you and, and the call that God has placed on your life and your determination to fight cannot be based on backup. Your determination to fight has to be based on this and this alone. God called me to this. And if nobody's here with me, I'll still fight. So, so, so there will come a day when you're serving and everyone else will hit, hit the road. There's going to come a day when your passion has led you to stand against the great odds and you're going to have to stand alone. But if you won't give up and you can make a difference, if you'll come to this place where you say, I... Though none go with me, still 
I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. It could just be me, myself, and I standing in the middle of a patch where I'm surrounded, but I refuse to quit and I refuse to give up. Eleazar won because he didn't give up when everybody retreated. I know, by the way, they all came back after they after he had won. Sure, they do. Surprise! You wonder why folks. Disappear on you, and then all of a sudden, when you walk into your blessing, now they show up. Well, surprise! But Eleazar didn't even deal with that. He just let him get the spoils of the victory, because his victory was that he did what God called him to do. Some of y'all over here trying to figure out who who should get what. Forget all that. Just win the victory. Don't. Okay. Number two, he could have given given up because he was tired. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 10, it says, He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. Literally, this is what has happened. Eliezer has fought until his strength is gone. One version says he fought so long that his hand became frozen to the sword. That word frozen there means welded. Even though the situation looked hopeless, he held on. Even though the odds were not in his favor, he refused to quit swinging. One version says it like this. Eliezer stood his ground and killed Philistines right and left until he was exhausted. But he never let go of his sword. That ought to help us. Because he fought until he was exhausted, but he kept fighting through his weariness. And I had a conversation with somebody this week, and I was honest with them, and I said, right, this season has been the most exhausting, tiring season of my entire life. Anybody else? Anybody else wake up and dread watching the news? Anybody else wake up and dread what's coming today? Anybody else wake up and go, man, I am tired of this. I'm exhausted. I can't make the right decisions. I'm dead if I do, dead if I don't. Can't say this, can't say that. I'm, I'm exhausted. You know what it makes you do when you get exhausted? You want to quit. His human strength and his human ability was used up. I think that's why we're encouraged in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. And it says this, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. If we, if we faint not, in due season we will reap if we won't let go, if we won't drop our sword. Some of you are tired, and I get it. And I just want to say to you that if you will just keep holding on, and if you'll refuse to quit sw- swinging, and if you'll... Let me say that differently. If you, if you will refuse to, to let go of your sword and quit fighting the good fight, you'll win victory. I, said, I, I wrote it down like this. Don't stop serving. I know you're tired, but don't stop serving. Don't, don't, don't stop caring. Don't stop loving. Don't stop forgiving. Don't stop praying. Don't stop offering grace. Don't stop loving on people. Don't stop believing. Okay, that's my own private moment, but that's a different story. Because when you're tired, you're going to want to give up. And I am convinced that we win victories when we learn to outlast. 
Those that endure to the end will be saved. They refuse to lay down their sword. I want you to notice the text one more time, and then I'm going to get out of your way. It says that he attacked and killed Philistines until his hand got tired and stuck to his sword. Then it says, so the Lord won an impressive victory that day. Wait a minute. I don't understand. Eleazar is in the middle of the field fighting so long that he is exhausted until his hand welds to his sword. And then as an afterthought, it says, and so the Lord won an impressive victory. Wait a minute. Eleazar is exhausted. He's got no more energy, no more strength. I can't ush one more time. I can't, I, can't, I can't be a counter one more time. I can't do outreach one more time. I can't sing one more song. I can't deal with those rugrats in the back one more time while everybody else is getting to worship. I'm back there chasing their brats. I, what in the world? I can't do it. I can't do it. I'm exhausted. But the Lord won an impressive victory. Could it be that God's intervention is wrapped up in our tenacity? You missed it. Could it be that our miracle is revealed in our resolve? Could it be that God's hand will act if our hand stays on our sword? Could it be that Eleazar, which means God helped, maybe, just maybe, that his help came God's help came because of Eleazar's persistence. Could I say to somebody in this room that if you give up, you will have given up just this much too quick if you would have just held on to the sword one minute longer, one day longer, one week longer, one month longer, one year longer. If you would have just kept your hand on the plow, if you would have just kept your hand on the sword, could it be that as you swing one more time, God wins an impressive victory. Some of you are poised to make a difference, but you're tired. Some of you are poised to make a difference, but others have abandoned you. Some of you are on the moment where God could use you to win an impressive victory. And I just want to say to you, keep calling, keep serving, keep going, keep pressing. Don't quit. God will use your tenacity as the platform for a turnaround. Fix your face like flint. Don't give up. Fight until we can say the Lord won an impressive victory. Let's make a difference by getting a grip and fighting for what matters. By fighting alone if we have to. And fighting until God comes through. So this is my question, and I'm going to share some ways you can do that this month. If, if you were honest, maybe we ought to do it like this. Would you bow your heads for just a moment, just for a moment of privacy, just between you, God, and me, and I won't tell anybody. If you're here this morning, you say, Steve, I, I'm, I'm fighting, but I'm not sure that what I'm fighting for really matters. I'm afraid I may be using up all my energy and my resources and my passion, and I'm not really sure... And I need help discerning which battle I should fight. Can you raise your hand and pull it right back down? Yeah, a couple. If you're here this morning, you can put them down. I see them. If, if you're here this morning, you say, Steve, I, I, I'm almost at the place of giving up because I feel like I'm in this all by myself. And others that I thought would be with me have given up. Would you just raise your hand and pull it right back down? That's me, that's me, that's me. And if you're here this morning, you say, Steve, I'm, I'm just tired. 
I, I, I've used up all my own ability and I'm, I'm at the point of wanting to give up because I'm just exhausted. If that's you, would you join me with raising your hand? Because my hand is up. That's what I thought. You can put them down. Father, you know our hearts. I pray that if there's any area of our heart where we've drawn battle lines that don't fit your priority list, then I pray that you would help us to learn to discern. I pray that every person under the sound of my voice, those watching over on the internet this morning, that you would help us to be able to pick the right fights. We know you want us to fight. You've called us to be soldiers. So now I just pray in Jesus' name you would help us to learn which fights are sanctioned by you. Not by our opinions, not by our preferences. We want to fight for what matters to you. So I pray you'd help us. Father, for those that said that they feel like quitting because others have given up, I pray that the peace of the Holy Spirit would invade their life right now and they would recognize that as long as they're operating in the call of God on their life, what you called them to, I pray that you would allow them to recognize that you will not forsake them, you will not leave them, you're right there with them in the battle. And I pray that you would encourage them that even when they feel like they're by themselves, they would, they would keep fighting. And for all of those myself included, who have said that this has been a tiring season and we find ourselves exhausted, we find ourselves experiencing fatigue, and it's made us want to quit. We just want to throw our hands up and go, enough is enough. Then, Father, I pray this morning that what you would do is you would step in with supernatural strength and you would allow us to have the tenacity necessary to keep our hand on that sword so that you can win a miraculous, impressive victory in our lives. Don't let us quit too soon. Encourage us and strengthen us and don't let us grow weary in our well-doing. So that in due season, not on our time schedule, not on our time frame, but in due season, I pray that we would reap everything that you have for us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. So how do we do this? How do we change our anger, being mad, to mad, making a difference? Real quick, two things, and I'm going to get out of your way. I believe that two of the ways we do that is two, two, two very practical steps. Giving and serving. That's how you do it. Y'all say, well, you're getting ready to take up an offering. Yeah, we are, but that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about right now. We, we make this transition as we learn to give and serve because then we get our attention off of ourselves. And so we're going to give you some opportunities this month, all month long, to get involved. Let me talk about the two giving ways. Number one, I believe that God has called us to reach the teach. Boy, if you don't think teachers are stressed right now, I'll let you talk to my wife. And there are others in this room that are in the same profession. It is a stressful season. So we're going to bless this, one of the schools around us. Putnam City West High School is just right there. And we're going to reach those teachers and let them know that we're praying for them and that we care for them. How do we do that? We give. So we're just challenging you between now and the end of the month, every Sunday, bring a Sonic or a 7-Eleven gift card. There's a box out front. You can drop it in there. It can be a $2, $5, 20 It's up to you. It doesn't matter. We're not telling you how much. But we're going to gather all those gift cards, and at the end of the month, we're going to march into what, PC West High School, and we're just going to reach the teach. The second way you give is we're going to do our annual block party. 
we got to do it different this year for everybody. Um, and so we're doing it as drive through But you can help us by giving. We're trying to, to raise the funds to provide pre-filled backpacks, which they'll have school supplies in them. And we can get a pre-filled backpack for $12. So this, between now and the time of the block party, if you just want to write on your offering envelope, put a check or money in there, $12, just write um, block party. We'll know what it's for. That's how you can give. But you can also serve. Because that's the second step. Because sometimes giving is not a sacrifice when serving is. Because y'all do know the most valuable commodity that you have is your time. So we're asking you to serve. Well, how do we do that? Three opportunities. Number one is college serve. Uh, we're going to show up on the campus of Southwestern Christian on uh, all day long on um, uh August the 14th to help students move into their dorms and to uh, get to know them and it's going to be a great day so if you're interested in serving you've got some flexible time you don't have to be there all day we'll give you some time parameters where you can come and serve we need some some muscle if that's you then you can come see Austin or Natalie raise your hands they will help you get plugged up plugged in for that and you can serve. Another way that you can serve is at the back-to-school drive-through. We're going to need people to hand out backpacks. We're trying to do some other stuff, maybe like snow cones and some things. We need your help. Last year, 1,400 people showed up on this in our parking lot for our back-to-school party. I'm not convinced it will be less than that. I just think it's going to be one gargantuan line of cars, and we're going to need people to help us do traffic. It's going to be crazy. But we need your help. And then... The other one is on August the 15th, which is a Saturday from 8 to 3, we're going to serve with Habitat for Humanity. You have to sign up by next Sunday. You have to sign up in the green room so that we know who's coming. On the iPad, you can go sign up because there's some stipulations, but we're going to help a needy family that needs a home, and we're going to serve. So, well, I'm tired. I know. Join the, join the club. But if you'll get your attention off yourself, maybe through your tenacity, the Lord will win an impressive victory. And last but not least, out there on the uh, communication center on the counter out there are these, these little cards. We're calling them mad tags. And these are for you because look at all these folks wearing these mad t-shirts. People are going to start asking questions. We want you to use these tags to do random acts of kindness all month long. Well, I don't want to serve at the block party. Fine. Pick up one of these and t over tip your waiter. I don't want to do Habitat for Humanity. I can't, I can't paint. Okay. Take one of these and mow your neighbor's yard and lay it on their porch. Whatever. But it's a way that we begin to serve people and we make a difference. Are you with me? It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.